Uh, we're doing a bit of a series at the moment, uh, just a bit of a reset. We're just kind of acknowledging that um, Term 1 was really disruptive and really tricky. And, uh, and so we're just trying to take just a moment intentionally of just going, hey, we want to just change gears here. <clears throat> and um, I found last week very, very moving, uh, especially the shredder. I just loved that bit. If you weren't here, we had a shredder up here and like people could either write confessions down or just like bin term one because it was just so tough. And it was just very moving, just like, and I was just moved because I was watching these people kneel down, some in tears, just saying, no, that was tricky. So just before the cross of Christ, we just want to shred that bad boy and start again. <clears throat> and um, I, I sort of, we finished church. We had a, a wonderful prayer meeting. You've got to get to our prayer meeting. I'm going to plug that in a second, a little bit more of my talk because it's just... And then, you know, Mondays I'm pretty tired normally. And then you know, any pastor's probably a little vulnerable to a bit of discouragement or feeling a bit flat. And, and it's not, there's no logic to it, you know, it's just... Stupid emotions or whatever, you know. It's like, I feel a bit tired and, you know. And if one little thing didn't go perfectly, it's the worst ever and, you know, whatever. But last Monday, surprisingly, <laughs> I was just sitting there just going, I just felt overwhelmed with gratitude for you guys. I was just like, man, what a wonderful church. I just genuine overwhelmed. I was like, man, I'm just so proud of our guys. And here's why. It was like, because they're up for it. I know, like, we challenge you a lot. And also to follow Jesus in this day and age is not easy. So, like, if, you're not, if we're not feeling a bit challenged, something's wrong. Because we're not trying to build a kingdom of comfort. We're trying to build a kingdom of God. We're trying to follow the narrow road of Jesus. He never said it would be easy. He always said you've got to pick up the cross and follow him. But, right. But you guys are up for it. Amazing. I just, I'm just so grateful. And I was actually thinking there's a Bridgetown church in the, in, in the state, very influential church for us in terms of discipleship. <clears throat> They've had a new pastor come on board, this guy called Tyler Staden, amazing guy. <clears throat> but he got sat down before he started his tenure by the elders in the church, and they said this. They said, be very careful what you call our church to, because whatever you call our church to, they will do. And he was like, I'm just not used to that. He's like, I'm used to like, you call your church and you preach your best message and you put all the church architecture in place and all this sort of stuff, but maybe 30% might be up for it, you know? He's like, I'm not used to the lion's share of the church being totally up. So they have to be very measured and very wise about what they call their church to because they'll, they'll do it. Now, we're not quite there yet in terms of percentages, but I'm like, we're tracking in the right direction. It's super encouraging that you guys are up for it. We lay down the wet or you pick it up. The challenge is like to follow the way of Jesus is, is full on. And, and especially because, as we've been talking a lot, there's so much deformation that takes place. Like, like literally watching 8,000 advertisements today, today is going to shape you to be a consumer. That's just going to form you. And it's so like just, we swim in the waters, it's so hard to see the water because just every, <clears throat> and so when Jesus calls us to not be consumers but to give our life away as a blessing, it can be jarring because it's like, oh man, like that feels weird because we've been deformed. But what we're trying to have in this community is a counterformation in the way of Jesus that truly brings life. So I just want to say I love you guys because you're up for it. I just a truly, you know, Marie talking about not liking the idea of a rule of life, but then you know, this kind of do. I just love it—the honesty and the reality of yeah, it's tricky following Jesus, but as a community, we want to try and do that. And it's not a linear journey. Um, this is kind of how we expect it to go in terms of life, you know, up and to the right and all that. And it's like it's just the re like who can resonate with that being their life story with Jesus? And like term one was just a giant squiggle mess, you know, in terms 
of what it did for us in terms of our routines and stuff. But the danger is, and this is why we're doing this mini-series before we start our new I Am series that we're going to look at for the next little while, is that the danger is that we can go through disruption and there's no obvious on-ramp back onto the way of Jesus because it's going to be very disruptive. All your routines and rhythms and you can have the best rule of life in the world. You're going to be a super Christian in 2023 and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, when's the on-ramp to actually go, no, I'm going to reset? And that's what we're trying to do now is it's time to reset, trying to say yes to Jesus again. Um, so we don't want to stay in that place of just kind of, we want to go, no, we're going to let our ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace, Jesus. Let us be people that live lives of intention to follow the way of Jesus today. So that's what we're trying to do. So happy new year. I should have bought a little thing. Bang, happy new year. And it's like, you know, we're just going to give that a crack again. Let's commit as we begin this new year to orientate our life around being a disciple of Jesus. Let's make the primary goals of our life to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And I've been reading this book called Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. Amazing spiritual formation text, big key one. And he's like, the spiritual formation that's really just another word of saying discipleship, is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. So that's what we're trying to do with all the diff, you know, stuff we're talking about, rule of life, spiritual practices. We're trying to uh, be formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so how do we do that? Well, firstly, you've got to have a vision for what you want your life to be. Last week, we looked at Colossians 3, Galatians 5. The, the Bible's dripping with imagery around, like, this is how I want to live my life. I mean, Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. Who doesn't want to live a life filled with love, joy, and peace? As your predominant experience, not this rare fleeting exception reality, you know, moment where occasionally when all the planets line up, you might feel a little bit of peace. So who, like, actually through the Spirit of God, we can live lives that are marked by love, joy, and peace. Oh, so it seems your, your, your imagination gets filled with that possibility. Then the next step is, well, how can I do that? This is where we look at the way of Jesus and go, we want to imitate Him. It all comes from Him. So I want to imitate the lifestyle of Jesus so that I can experience the fruit of the Spirit in my life more and more and more. So I can live a life that's worthy. I can live a life that's fully alive. And so, uh, you know, it's great we can do all that. But as Pete Scazzaro says, nurturing a growing spirituality with depth in our present day culture will require a thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. This is not just going to happen. And this is a gift. This is the gift of, of living, of being exiles in Babylon. This is the gift of being exiles in Babylon, is that you've got to really choose the way of Jesus. Our culture's not going to help you. You've really got to be intentional. And that's why, as we began the year, we've been talking about spiritual practices for years, ever since we started the church. We'll be talking about the spiritual practices, the way of Jesus. How can we be disciples of Jesus? We tied it all together at the beginning of the year with the concept that Marie mentioned, because this whole idea of a rule of life. To do what Peter Scazzaro is saying, like, here's my intentional plan uh, to, to, to live out a life of discipleship. And this is a practice that's been around since the third century. So the church has gone, like, how can we follow the way of Jesus? And so the desert mothers and fathers uh, started this thing of having like a rule of life. Like, here's, I believe John, John Mark can explain it. We talked about this before. But basically, a rule was a schedule and a set of practices to order your life around the way of Jesus in community. It's a way to keep us from getting sucked into the hurry, busyness, noise, and distraction of regular life. A way to slow down. Interesting with Jesus, the first thing he's going to try and do is slow you down. 
Most of us don't need, like, again, please don't hear me. Here, stick a whole bunch of spiritual disciplines on top of your already stressed, rushed life. And I was like, Ugh. no, everyone's like, come to Jesus and rest, not stress, right? Let's just, so, so, but what he's going to do is start, like, changing the priorities of your life to try and slow things down so that you can be with him. So this rule of life helps us to slow down to a way to live really into what really matters, what Jesus calls abiding. Don't let the language of the rule turn you off. Or the you know everyone's like Pharisee legalism, ah, freaking out. The word rule comes from the Latin word regular, which actually means a straight piece of wood. Think ruler, but also used for a trellis. What's underneath every thriving vine? A trellis, a structure to hold up the vine so it can grow and bear fruit. So we've done a whole lot of work on this. I'm not going to bang on about rule of life too much, but I just conveniently, we have printed 40 more rules of life if you haven't actually done it yet or your one has fallen off the wagon or whatever. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to give the opportunity for the handful of you that may need to relook at this to do it. We're going to give you some time to do that. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give five practices that I'm like, let's make sure these things are in our lives, these healthy and holy habits so that we can flourish. Now, can I make you do it? No. Can Jesus make you do it? No. All he can do is stand before you and say, follow me. It's up to you whether you do it. You've got free will coming out your ears. So I'm just going to lay these once more before you and say, if you want to take seriously the way of Jesus, you need a fight to have these things in your life. Dallas will now hear me very clearly. We're going to finish by taking communion. Okay? And we do that because these practices don't make you more loved by Jesus. Nothing can change that. It's all a work of grace. Hallelujah. We're going to finish with communion. But Dallas Willard said this, and we've got a bit, it's very important to understand this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So it's all just a gift, but grace teaches us, it says in Titus, how to live a holy life. So I've got, like, I make a huge effort in terms of prayer, all this stuff. So these are the disciplines I suggest that I think are vital to have in your life and in your rule of life. And then, then that's it. Then we're going to go into a new series. Huddles will take a long home. Then we're going into the I am statements. This is just a reset. We're not going to do this every week. You've got to be big boys and girls to learn to self-reset when you need to. The, 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 the genius, the, the, the Christians who are going to turn into saints have got on the habit of getting back on the wagon. They've run to the one who's made them clean. They let their sin propel them towards God, not away from him, blah, 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 okay? So you've got to self-reset, super important, but this is a corporate reset. So the first thing's prayer. Having a devotional life, I've banged on about this a little bit over the years because there has been nothing the devil's gone after more than this. We've got weapons of mass distraction in our pockets and we have not had a discipleship culture to teach young people how to pray and we haven't held each other accountable to this most vital practice in the spiritual life. So what's happened in the church is that most people under 45 struggle to pray and have almost no interior life whatsoever. I was talking to a Christian leader two weeks ago who admitted to me they barely have any prayer life. They're a lay leader, so they work another job, granted. But, um, but these are a prominent position in a church, and just their prayer life's all over the map. Barely happens. Now, no judgment, because, of course, they're getting formed. And, you know, so I'm like, but we've, we've got to fight this. <laughs> like, because it's just, this isn't, this isn't like, prayer's not one of the things that we do. It's the most important thing we do. It's like it's everything. It all comes from intimacy with Jesus. John 15, like you want to bear fruit in your life, it comes from abiding and remaining in Him. Colossians 4 verse 2 says, devote yourself to prayer. The word devote there is to be steadfast, to endure, to courageously persist. 
Oh, so good. To, like, to, to follow Jesus is literally, it means that there's some sense of closeness to him. <laughs> there's some time with him. Um, and we've talked about this heap, so I'm not, and we've got resources all over the map on our website and, and blah, blah, so I'm not going to labor it. But here's why it's so beautiful. Like, listen, I know I'm, like, hopefully you guys don't feel like getting told off and some of you are feeling super condemned. Hopefully not. I hope it's just conviction. But I'm like, here's, the, here's why I'm frothing on this. The best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. The best thing, like, mate, he's the best person to hang out with. He's just the best. You've had a rubbish week where, you, you know, you've eaten too many cream buns, kicked the cat and had an extra vino. It's like, hang out with Jesus. You don't have to get a certain threshold of goodness before you can hang out with Jesus. You run to the one who can make you clean. You boldly approach the throne of grace. And so if you're feeling messy, you hang out with Jesus. Stressed, hang out with Jesus. He's the peace, like that's where peace comes from. Hang out with Him. You feel insecure? Hang out with Jesus. He'll speak truth about who you are in Him. And it's so healing. I could go on and on and on. The best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. And so, yes, it's counterculture, and yes, the enemy's going to go tooth and nail to try and stop you hanging out with the source of all life and goodness himself, but fight for it. Press in. Go to upper click, go to huddles, get your home church thing doing, the devotional practice um, modules. Keep cycling through this stuff because we're going to keep fighting for the secret place because in the secret place is where we find it. Terry Virgo, Virgo, amazing Christian man of God, says this, drinking from his river of delight, Psalm 36 verse 8, is at the center of the Christian experience. Life is tough, demanding, sometimes dreary or even agonizing. His love is better than wine. He offers an intoxicating drink with him as the fountain of life. I just think, like, guys, let's just keep cheering each other on to, to live a life that's just seeking his presence, that, that's pursuing him. And can I just say, not only do we want to do that individually, but we're going to do, we're going to continue to do that corporately. And I'd love you to join our, our prayer meeting. We're, we've set up our prayer meeting so that even if you don't feel very good at praying out loud, you can come to this place and participate. It's a great place to come. And we're going to continue to pray, because to, I'm like, the, the only danger with just being on about individual prayer is that it becomes a a lot about me, right? So I like hanging out with Jesus because I love his presence. And also, like, then you come to his presence and you're like, oh, wouldn't mind my kids not, you know, and you just pray for a few things for me, home theater, things related, swell, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm like, but where are we praying prayers, contending prayers for this region at our prayer meeting? So I go there because it's good for me to pray selfless prayers, not just selfish prayers, <laughs> I get in an environment and it's structured to force me to think outwards. And you know, and guys, can I just implore you to join us actually? Can I implore you? Because I'm like, this we, we do this is how we set up our prayering. The first three, the path of the so we do live worship, then we pray for five minute bursts with scripture. We just pray the scriptures. That's good. Just praying the word. Pray that together. Then we have some little bit of worship, and then we have another two five-minute bits, and here's the three things we're praying for every week. Number one, we're praying blessing over this church and the churches in the bay. It's praying that God's provision, blessing over it. The second thing we're doing is praying for the Gen X, for our kids. Like the world they're growing, like we need intercessory contending prayers. We need mothers and fathers coming every week praying for our children. Because the world they're growing up in is, I thought my world was mental when I grew up. My parents were like, oh, your world's crazy compared to what I grew up in. I'm saying the same thing looking at my kids. 
No, we need these kids encountering God's presence so that everything else that's the hoax that it is is exposed in the light of God's glory and grace. Like we need to be praying for our children. And then the last thing we're praying is for this region. Lord, pour out your spirit here on the bay. It's been tough ground for churches. It's been tough ground for, but we're praying that God, you pour out your spirit. How often are you praying that prayer in all honesty? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here in the bay as it is in heaven. I'm not praying that too much outside of that prayer meeting, so I'm grateful for it. It gives my life some integrity when it comes to following the way of Jesus and praying prayers of contention rather than just praying prayers of comfort for me. Amen? Oh, he's warmed up this morning. I was, I was expecting this to be a bit more of a gentle one, but I'm all right, let's go. And, and guys, can I say, it, prayer works. We've got to stop being agnostic about the power of prayer. Like we, I come to that prayer meeting because I'm aware more than ever of the powerlessness of my own life. But man, when we get into the presence of God, I'm praying to the one who can make change. And here's, here's the encouragement. God is answering prayers all over the map. It's so encouraging. Last week, we had two hippies here. Did you notice them? You know, we had the two hippies here. They just, like, they're just telling report after report of what God is doing in the hippie trail around New Zealand, of all these people coming to faith. And one of them was just a brand new Christian from the start of this year that was here. It's just like the stories were just staggering. Then I was hanging out yesterday with, uh, with the doctor of one of the prominent rugby teams. For the sake of the podcast, I'm not saying we're was, but you guys probably knew where I was. And he's like talking about what's happening in the super rugby scene amongst the Christians. Like there's like moves of God happening in our super rugby teams. Not just, I'm not hearing that just from this guy, but from some of our other boys that are playing in some of those teams. Like this is serious stuff. We turned up yesterday to the intermediates conference for our, our intermediates. The first meeting was like the last meeting at camp. We've all been there, right? It was like, like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, normally this is the tough meeting. And these are intermediates. Do you know how tricky, like, oh, the grace you need to have a ministry towards intermediates? God bless <laughs> Ross and Rosie and, and Charlotte and all the gang. Amazing, man. I'm like, Lord, this is a grace that's super unique. Anyway, um, but the reason we're there is because I desperately want these kids to encounter God's spirit, right? Me and Jen are there just like, we'll do anything to see these kids. First meeting, and here's what blew me away. The team had come up from Christchurch and a few other churches um, to, to just run this thing. 15-year-olds to about 20-year-olds are in the team, right? So they start the first thing, they do some worship and stuff. I watch all these 15 to 20-year-olds just start going like, Look, what do you want to do? They just started walking up to people and just started praying and giving words for these kids. And I'm just seeing these kids just get hit with the Holy Spirit, just encounter God. And I'm sitting there feeling very challenged. I'm like, I can't get my, most of my fifth, like my adults who have been Christians for more than 15 years to walk into a meeting and think about someone else. How can I bring a word? How can I? And yet here's these 15-year-old, 20-year-olds, they're just being used as a conduit of God's grace and goodness and speaking life. And all of like watching your kids get touched with the Spirit of God and the world they're living. And I'm like, God's on the move. Aslan's on the move. Right? And I'm like, why? Because we are going to be a people of prayer and we're going to see that more and more and more. Would you join me in, in putting prayer at the center of our lives? We can't be complacent. We are in a battle. Please, church, let's be the army we're called to be to take ground from the enemy on our knees. Oh, man. Harvey's warmed up. We're going to have to rip through the rest of it. That was literally me. I talk about this all the time, and I'm, like, I'm just going to get a little mention of the prayer, then we'll move on. And oh. But this, you know what? The reason I think I get anointed as soon as I start speaking this is because God's desperate for His church to start praying again. This is sovereign. And so in your own personal prayer life and in corporately, let's commit to being a people of prayer. 
Secondly, <laughs> rest, Sabbath rest. Now, this was the one I was like, oh, no, this is more the one I was like, oh, this is going to be challenging. Um, because, look, the reality is I think most of us don't need to do more, we need to do less. And a rule of life helps us work out how our schedule can align more closely with our values. Helps me work out all that sort of stuff. Jesus, as I said, said, come to me and rest, not come to me and stress. So how does he, like, come to me and rest? How did, learn of me, he says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace as used in peace. Learn the way of Jesus. And so woven into the very fabric of our being is this need to rest. And it's a bizarre to me, like, now we've talked about Sabbath rest, especially on Sundays. We've got two home church modules on Sabbath. But the interesting thing after now banging on about this, because I've been trying to live this for 15 years in terms of the spiritual discipline, and then we've really tried to bang this drum pretty hard the last four or five years. Interestingly, this is the trickiest thing I ever have to speak to. And it's the hardest spiritual practice that, our guy, that you guys, from, in terms of feedback, have given me. This is the trickiest one to implement into your life, which says more about our deformation than anything else. Now, everything in me would love not to therefore bring this up again, because it's just, I don't like going, here's another tricky spiritual discipline to stick in your life, the one that's most challenging. But the problem is, after prayer, it's the clearest spiritual discipline in the whole Bible. It's literally there from Genesis 1, like, you are made in the image of a God who rests. So like if that's in your, it's in your DNA that, that you are, you're hardwired to rest every seventh day just to rest. And so it goes on. So then in Exodus, you've got um, verse in chapter 33, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. The, the Sabbath rest is in the Ten Commandments. Now, the interesting thing, again, from, I'm like, most Christians have heard about the importance of tithing. Now, I've got my views on that in terms of what the New Testament says and blah, blah, we can have a coffee about that if you want, but give generously to our church is the general uh, thing, the message I'd like to be out there for sure. But the bizarre thing to me is that most Christians have grown up knowing the importance of giving to church. Most Christians haven't heard the pastors bang on about tithing, about Sabbath, and yet it's in the Ten Commandments. Do you know, like, honestly, if a Christian leader broke any of the other nine commandments, it's a sackable offense, but if they work seven days a week, we applaud them for being so committed to the kingdom of God and his church. It's so broken. And then in Isaiah, so we're just, I mean, we, you know, then we had the, the, the prophets in Isaiah, uh, like there's so much blessing connected to Sabbath rest. Um, in Isaiah 58, I, won't, I don't have time, but have a look at the blessing. We know Isaiah 58 from the challenge of the fasting that God requires, which is to care for the poor and the broken. But we always, again, ignore the last bit of Isaiah 58 that talks about the blessing for those who don't violate the Sabbath. There's so much blessing on this day. And then you go into Jesus. So Jesus comes along and doesn't say to the Pharisees, this isn't applicable anymore. He just turns what's, he just basically turns it upside down. It's become this very controlling religious trip um, and, and, and this massive burden on people. And he says, no, the Sabbath is there to serve and heal you, not the other way around. And it does serve and heal you. As I've engaged with Sabbath rest, my brokenness has been exposed. I love, like, I want to keep producing things because I get my value from what I produce. But I'm not a slave to Pharaoh anymore. I've been set free. My value isn't connected with how many bricks I produce. It's in whose I am. And Sabbath frees me from being productive in front of a whole lot of people. It's, and so it's exposing. And if you let it do, it'll do the work of healing. And then life just gets, like, what does it look like to work from our rest rather than rest from our work? To be just like, to just be present with people. And to, like, whenever I get tired, and I'm a little bit tired this morning after hanging out for an intermediate, so we can, oh my Lord, the energy they've got, right? 
Um, but I'm like, I just, I just notice myself when I'm tired, I find it harder to love. But when I'm rested, I find it easier to love. How can I just create a lifestyle that just helps me rest well so I can live a life of love? And then Hebrews, into the epistles, in Hebrews 4 verse 9, very clearly, it says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Sabbath is, is, uh, is meant to be the best day of the week. This is interesting. People find it very, very tricky to rest, but it's like actually meant to be the most beautiful day of the week. And I can say from personal experience, after 15 years of chipping away at this, it can be the most beautiful day of the week. Biblically, there's four things that are connected to Sabbath, uh, to rest. It's to stop so we don't do anything associated with our work. That's impossible for a pastor because my work's never done pastorally. So I have to be very strong mentally to say, no, I'm going to pretend that the job's done even though it's not. The rabbis would talk about a day plucked from the future when everything's the way it's meant to be and brought into the present. It's a kingdom day of, on earth as it is in heaven. There's no more stress. So I'm, today I'm mentally, I'm like, there's, there's no jobs to do. And I'm just going to totally detach from that. because, And, and that's a pride thing if I can't do that because I think I'm way more in control than I really am. <laughs> Turns out God's in charge of the church and this world and your life and your kids and your, and your finance, all of that. And so I stop and then I rest. What does it look like to rest well, have a nap, you know, slow right down, just, you know, I don't know, sit in the hammock, read a book. Do all these lovely things. Like, it's bizarre for us. We can't, you know, we struggle with it. To delight. So again, most of us in the West live like every day is a party. We spend as much as we want to eat, whatever we want. Actually, the way that the Lord's designed it is that we restrain ourselves a bit on some days and we work. And then on Sabbath, it's party, baby. It's like all the treats, it's special food, takeaways, all that sort of stuff. And we pleasure stack on that day. And it's a day of delight. So what does it look like to say no throughout the week so you've got this day that's sacred and holy and beautiful where you're delighting yourselves in all the good stuff rather than trying to make every day a little bit kind of epic. And then the last thing is to worship. This is why Sunday is a great day to Sabbath. Come along, we worship God and we engage with Him. So in your rule of life, what does it look like for you to have space, to Sabbath, to rest well, to have some margin, uh, to walk out of the kitchen where you're most likely making sandwiches Jesus didn't ask you to make, to sit at His feet and to be with Him? Come and rest. Thirdly, community. Uh, so these are some of the practices I suggest there in your rule of life uh, that you've got. Uh, the prayer thing, the Sabbath thing, the rest thing, the community thing. Uh, Marie's done enough work on that. It's great. But as I said last week, um, here's the reality. Uh, the AA have got the statement, it works if you work it, so work it, you're worth it. I mentioned this last week. Um, and that is unequivocally true for our home churches, upper clicks and huddles. I can just tell you absolutely after five years now of us hitting this stuff hard, every person that is consistently hung in there with a home church, a huddle, or an upper click has grown spiritually. It works. And it works because it helps reset you. It helps because it gets you uh, confessions important if you're struggling. It helps because it reimagines you if you're, if you're off the wagon. All that sort of stuff. It helps in the community. So, if we're in the, so it works if you work it. So my thing is work it, you're worth it. And so the AA, we've got a lot to learn from them. I banged on about that last week. That's community. Fourthly, Sunday. Healthy and holy habit. Who, um, who remembers growing up in the, uh, some of you Pentecostals, where it was like, you've got to be planted. You're planted? Planted in the church? You're important. That, and it, it's, it's some, there's some triggers there for some people to know, but it's like, it actually comes from Psalm 92, 12 to 15. It says, The righteous will, be a, righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will still stay fresh and green. Proclaim the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. There's something, 
the, the beauty about the church is this, that Jesus has, loves the church and has made a covenant with it. Made a covenant with the church. Like That's why the metaphor in the um, Bible is that, that we're a bride. Now, interesting looking bride. Wee wee. Like, Jesus, you, got, you need to check your glasses or something, bro. Like, man, like, have you seen us? But he loved, he's so committed to the church, like he died for it. Like it's his bride. He's covenantally committed to the bride. So the invitation for us, again, it's always an invitation with God, is that we would in turn be covenantally committed to his bride, to his church, and in the same way. Now, does that mean this church? No. <laughs> Cult alert. You know, it's like, no, no, of course not. But, but if, you're in this, if you're planted in this church, yes, in a sense, you're deeply committed to it. And then the Lord calls, I've been in a bunch of churches. So it happens in life. I mean, it's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But, but, but it's super important that you go committed to this thing. And I'm like, and it's, it's, a, it's a healthy and holy habit. And again, Proverbs, the opposite here, he who isolates themse- themselves seeks their own desires. So we choose to gather together, not isolate ourselves. And again, and just tell you, uh, the heartbreak of watching people leave our church over the last 20 years I've been in ministry. Some people leave a church where it sucks, but it happens. The thing that rips my undies is when I see them not go anywhere after us. It's so, I don't care where you go, just get planted somewhere and be part of it regularly because your faith grows when you come to this environment. Like, just you meet God when we gather together. It's his idea of the church. There's something about it. We come to the table. We receive his body and his blood broken every single week. We worship him in song. We open the word. There's something that happens in this dynamic. So just, I'm like, don't isolate yourself because you just, and the thing is, like, when you don't go, it's be easier not to go to church. Trust me, I've fantasized about the idea of not turning up here from time to time. A little tricky sometimes in terms of my job, but it's like, you know, I don't want to go to church. You have to hear the pastor. Okay. You know, but it's good for me. I'm so grateful I have to be here. And I would say a huge part of my formation in terms of my character has been because I've just had to keep turning up. It's been so good for me. And here's why. It's taught me how to live a life of love. It's taught me how to forgive people. It's taught, like, this is where this happens. This is a very diverse community. And, like, we bang into each other's bruises constantly. So we learn to, to forgive and to, uh, to look after one another. And if we don't, it's like you don't notice that you're spiritually, your temperature's cooling when you don't attend church. You don't notice it. It's very, very deceitful, the enemy. It's very, you don't even notice. But you come back into this environment, it's like, oh, that's right. Oh, man, so you get into this environment. It's a healthy and holy habit. Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, um, one of my heroes, the heroes in, my ch- in this church for me in terms of this as a healthy and holy habit are everyone with preschoolers. Now, like, when it comes to, like, the Means and the McKinleys, that's, like, I feel like you've just made 10 babies in two years. I'm like, you have so many preschoolers. <laughs> How's that possible? You know, like, honestly, slow down, guys. Like, Karen, Josiah, I'm looking at you guys, man. Like, what's going on there? But I'm like, do you know how hard it is? I mean, some of you guys remember how hard it is to get to church of preschoolers. I just honour you guys because it's a healthy and holy habit. And, like, while it would be easier not to come with all the kids and all that sort of stuff, this, th- that season of life can be an off-ramp. And you've said, no, this is a healthy and holy habit. We're going to keep on turning up. So you friggin' legends. 
Absolutely. And, and so beautiful. Here's the, this data. I can't find the research for this. A, a, a reputable guy told it to me, but don't ask me where the data is because um, he won't reply to my emails. It's really annoying. But he, this guy, I think he was saying there was a, a survey in the UK with Tefan. I can't remember the details. Basically, I, I was shocked at the results where they said that if someone leaves a church like this, so you can go to home churches and all that sort of stuff. The biblical church will always have an accountability structure. It'll be caring for the poor. It'll have mission, all that sort of things, right? So sometimes people just have like, an, like are hanging out with all the same people as me, which is really nice, but it's not biblical church. Anyway, that's a whole other rant. Anyway, you go into this environment, which is tricky, but, but a biblical sort of church thing. When you leave that environment and you just do your own thing, your children, there's about a 50% chance they'll have some sort of faith. Higher than I thought, but it's like you've still got your faith. They see something there, and there's a 50-50 chance. But the data is unequivocal that their grandchildren, it's almost 100%, have no faith at all. So I'm, I'm always concerned because I'm like, when people leave church, I'm like, pers- like and this is really blunt, but it's like quite a selfish decision for your grandchildren. It's, it's, I'm like, I get really, I'm like, have you considered the consequences for your grandchildren? And the devil, his lie when it comes to any sin is there's no consequences, whether that's sexual sin, whatever sin. Oh, don't worry, there's no consequences. There's consequences. So anyway, so I'm like, preschoolers, friggin' legends. You keep turning up the preschoolers. You keep turning up the babies. You keep t- that is a healthy and holy habit, and you're investing into your grandchildren to do that. Because from generation to generation, we want to see the Lord's fame spread in Jesus' name. So that's, uh, so this is continue to make this a healthy and a holy habit. Lastly, uh, and lastly, one of the things in our life is like mission. What is the, the goal of our spiritual journeys to become love? As I said, uh, you know, formation is for the sake of others ultimately. It's not pro- like Sabbath and spiritual practices. And it's like devotional life. All of that I kind of like because it's good for my soul. But there's a danger that we use all these pr- practices for project self. Again, a value of our culture. But I'm like, no, actually the invitation ultimately is to give our life away is to pour our lives out as a blessing for others, to give our lives away. The goal, so maturity in Christ is fruitfulness. Maturity in Christ is fruitfulness. So are you fruitful? Like who who are you discipling? Who are you loving? Who's the poor person you're hanging out with? Who's the lonely person you're giving your time to? What does it look like to give your life away in love for others? Now mission, I think sometimes we've complicated it but it's like it's a life of love. It's the decision of the heart to put the good of the other ahead of the good of your own out of sheer delight and compassion. That's when like God's done a work in you where you just long to see other people flourish. As Paul said, like, like you're in the pains of childbirth that the image of Christ will be formed in people. Like you're just like, there's a groan in your heart to see other people flourish. Like that's fruitful. That's mission. That's, we, we overcomplicate the thing. It's just a life of love. It's having our eyes open to see, like, how can we live a life of love? We were hanging out yesterday, I said, with the intermediates. One of the guys that leads that ministry, amazing guy called Ben McGregor, total unicorn in terms of, like, um, a gifting on his life for young kids. and stuff. Incredible. But also, unbelievably anointed kid, he's in his 20s now, who's been radically obedient all of his life to the little promptings of God. So I'm, like, hanging out there with my friend Nick in the cafe, having a coffee, having a little break, because the kids were off to play soccer. And I see Ben walk past, and he sees this disheveled-looking guy who was doing the... He actually gave me a ticket, which is really annoying. But anyway, um, he was one of the parking meter guys. God bless him. Um, and... 
it's a whole Sermon on the Mount thing happening here about blessing your enemies and all that sort of thing. Ben walks past him though, and it's like, and I just saw Ben just sort of, he caught his eye, and, I just, and the Lord would have, because Ben's so obedient, he just the Lord would have whispered something, in and he stops and has a chat with him. And he just engages him in conversation, has a chat, and was kind to the parking meter guy, right? Which is probably a very rare experience for them on the average day. And then um, Nick Minute, me and my mate drink, I look up, and there's Ben praying for this guy on the side of the road. And like, not in a weird way, like just totally, John Wimber talked, to me, talked about being naturally supernatural. And like Ben's got to the point where he lives a life of love so beautifully at such a young age that he's just like, Lord, how can you use me? How can I be a blessing? He's courageous. And, that's, and the kingdom comes when you step into courageous places and risk on God turning up. So Ben's, Ben's got stories that will just blow your mind in terms of God bringing healing, people come to faith, all that sort of stuff. And he's just up for doing stuff. He's, he's up. Like John Wimber used to say, I'm a fool for Christ. Who's full of you? Ben's just been up for full, being a fool for Christ. Just incredible. That stuff happens when you dig deep wells. That stuff happens when you're committed to the bride of Christ. That stuff happens when you haven't given up on community. That stuff happens when you keep turning up on Sundays. Something starts getting formed in you where you become, you start to live a life of love, where you start putting the good of another ahead of the good of yourself, where you turn up to this environment, not going, I wonder what, you know, I hope we've got a good worship leader this week. Oh, no, it's Matt. You know, whatever. No, joke. That's a horror there. Oh, shots fired. You know, or, or, you know, who's preaching on Harvey's going to prattle on again. He said it was going to be short, and it's clearly not. All that sort of thing. You know, you turn up, and it's like selfish thoughts. Or like we turn up, and it's like, who can I bless this morning? Who can I pray for this morning? If you've been a Christian longer than five years, you should be used to getting a prophetic word for someone and blessing someone. Everyone can hear God, so how do you do that to bless others? That's normal. We've got to start getting back to normal Christianity, which is radically counterculture, but we're going to be counterformed in the way of Jesus to live a life of love. That's what I long for. And we're tracking in the right direction, friends. I love it. Get along to Sharon's prophetic module. She's running again, all that sort of stuff. But it's like a couple of, a couple of stories we're coming in. Blair, I caught up Blair this week. Legend, right? Blair and Gillian just, again, just embody this. He, he leads our prayer culture of our church. He's a faithful man of prayer. And so like, we just catch up and he starts telling me this young because they run this Airbnb. We're talking about how God provides. They've got this Airbnb they run. So Blair, from time to time, again, honest story, not a, not a big story. From time to time, if he's prompted, he'll just go through and just pray for, uh, pray through the room just for whoever's going to come next. It's kind of a cool thing to do. But that immediately gets you in the posture of like, I wonder what God wants to do and how we can bless it. Prayer changes us mostly to just see the world the way God wants to, us to see it. And so then, like, just recently, they had this couple turn up, and uh, as Blair and Gillian talked to them, they discover that they're there um, because their marriage got wobbly, and this has been a weekend where they just want to, a couple, you know, there for a week to just really just spend time together and have some deep and meaningfuls. And so then, like, Blair and Gillian just then get around them. Gillian's chatting to her. There's no one better you'd want to, you know, and there's Blair, and Blair's talking to him. No one better you'd want to, you know, and then Blair's like, I think I prayed for the guy. And I'm like, that's mission. That's living a life of love, a blessing for others, where you're just, whatever's just a, the person in front of you, like, God, what's your thoughts? What's your heart? What do you want to do? Mission's just loving the person in front of you. And these, all these practices just help us live a life of love. That's what it looks like when the kingdom breaks in. I love it. The kingdom is arriving. Lift up your eyes. Kingdom is arriving. So give them glory in the waiting and hold on to hope. So whether it's at an Airbnb thing or at a kids' conference or at your work tomorrow, whatever it looks like, we want to have these practices in place so that we live a life of love. So as we come into land this morning, the rule of life holds all of these things together. 
It's just a schedule that we put. And you know, um, I, I found it very, very helpful because normally again, it's like, this isn't here just to inspire you. This is here to shape your schedule. It's very different. I came back from the States, uh, must be very nice, at the end of um, uh, that most recent trip that I went on. <laughs> it was very, very nice. Um, kind of a big deal. And, uh, and came back, and like we'd had the cyclone, then I'd had that trip. All my rhythms were shot. And I just got back, and as I was driving to the church on the first Sunday, you know, I'm just thinking about just how crazy the thing's been. And I just felt, again, the Lord just remind me, hey, Harvey, remember? We had a little chat about this. And nothing's really changed, has it? Like, you can live this still. And I'm like, yes, good. You know? And it was like, okay, well, why don't we just do it? And I'm like, okay. So it wasn't, this, it wasn't like an inspired thing. I woke up on Monday very tired from the month previous, and I just lived my, my schedule. What do I do now? I go to the pool for a swim. I don't feel like going for a pool for a swim. doesn't matter. It's in my schedule. We're going to do it. Healthy and holy habit. Let's go. Go for a swim. Oh, I feel a little bit better. What do I do now? Oh, I have extended devos on Monday just to really fill the soul. Oh, I feel like I'm kind of up for that now because I've done the first thing. Oh, man, it's starting to feel. And just started to work it. Just started to work it. By the Friday, feeling good. It works if you work it. So work it, you're worth it. Don't let the devil set your schedule. Let Jesus get your schedule and just find the life in him. Some people are cynical about whether God indeed transforms you from glory to glory. Here's my weddle for you today. Give it a try for two months and see how your soul feels. You've never, if you're like, oh, I don't know if this stuff. Most people like that are skeptical haven't actually given it a good crack. I'm like, try just having devotionals and Sabbath for two months, and then let's have a chat as to what's working and what's not. It'll bring up dysfunction. It'll bring up stuff. You know, everyone's a snowflake, so there'll be different ways you can do it. Blah blah. blah. Absolutely, we've got to work all that stuff out. But don't give up because you tried it twice. And then you're like, oh, it doesn't work. Sabbath works, devotionals work, community works, Sunday works, and ultimately it all leads to a life of missional love where we see the kingdom break in and what we need in the West and in this region more than anything are people whose lives are orientated around Jesus because we need his kingdom to come on earth as in heaven. He is the hope of the world. Jesus, amen? 